You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Welcome to the first Uncorking a Story podcast of 2018. I'm your host, Mike Carlin. And today's a big day for Uncorking a Story because I get to share with you my conversation with Bruce Miller, the creator of Smart Alex, a new, better-for-you snack food. Okay, so I have to admit something, and bless me, Father, for I've sinned, but I love talking to entrepreneurs because I'm always left feeling inspired by their stories. The drive and ability to put thought into action is a skill that few people have, and I think it's worth uncorking the stories of those who do so successfully. Bruce Miller, though, didn't set out to be a snack food disruptor, whatever that is. At an early age, he demonstrated a talent in art, and his parents encouraged that by enrolling 11-year-old Bruce in an art class. From there, it was off to art school in New Haven for college and jobs at smaller ad agencies before landing at Jordan McGrath Case & Taylor in New York, working directly under James Jordan as a copywriter. I don't want to give too much away, but most of you have definitely heard one of Bruce's claims to fame from those days. Nobody better lay a finger on my butterfinger. I should point out that interwoven in this interview is a love story. After moving to California to service his biggest client, Bruce kept up a long-distance relationship with a woman named Maria. They soon became engaged, and she would play a very important role in the Smart Alex story. But this is Bruce's story to tell, and you should hear it directly from him. In this podcast, you will learn about the Smart Alex story, as well as the roller coaster ride Bruce was on as this product went from conception to production. Now, I want to point out that this podcast is being brought to you by my new book, Motel California, the third in my Fairgram series. If you like an intriguing story with colorful and often comical characters, Motel California might just be what you need to read right now. You can buy it wherever books are sold online. And now, without any more delays, here is my conversation with my friend, neighbor, and fellow lover of the written word, Bruce Miller. You know, I like holding the microphone. I really do. Okay. I, I think, you know, holding the microphone makes me feel more um, more efficient. Or like on The Price is Right, that long, skinny thing. I have that, I do. Where you hold down here and you're like. Hey, Bruce, you're going to laugh at me. I have one of those. Yeah. I call it the Barker. Yeah. And I bought it on eBay and I hunted for months on yeah. eBay yeah. for it. Found it. A guy in Germany was selling it. And I think I paid some outrageous. I mean, look. It, outrageous amount of money for a microphone that i mean i use a couple of times a year but i like to do like men on the street interviews with it and it's a good conversation piece you know because it's it's the old prices right microphone you you know who uses that too is uh what's his name the guy that does trump on saturday night live when he does his show alec baldwin does yeah with with um 
Yes, he, he has a game show. That's right. I, you know, secretly, match Bruce, word or not ma- no. the match game, match game. Yeah. And you know, when I run focus groups, I sometimes play the match game. It's one of my little uh, my little game techniques yeah, that I use. Yeah. But um, yeah, right. no, I, I I'll secretly admit to wanting to have been a game show host when I was a kid. You know, some kids wanted to be doctors, firemen, policemen. I wanted to be a game show host. Oh, excellent. I guess there's still time. Yeah, there is, Mike. And you have the uh, persona <laughs> for it, definitely. <laughs> Maybe. You got the practice of I, talking to people and uh, having fun and joking around and I, stuff. Yeah. I have to come up with a good game show idea, though. Maybe we could do that at the end of uh, yeah. at the end of this conversation. Yeah, we definitely do that. Yeah. But we're here today not to talk about my uh, past career ambitions or disappointments, as the case may be. Um, I want to talk about Smart Alex. All right. Here we are. Because this is an exciting, uh, an exciting time for... Bruce Miller and Maria Miller. I should mention your your wife's yes, name. Yes, in absentee. Yeah. In in abstentia. Abstentia. Um, we are we are sitting in your living room right now, and I'm looking at. First of all, I'm looking at a Christmas tree that needs to be taken out because yeah, yeah. that is a fire hazard, Bruce. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's it, no decorations, no lights, but it's so it's ready to to hit the road. No, it's 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 time. Yeah. Uh, but in addition to the Christmas tree and Henry the dog, I see. All these boxes with a little character on them, and, and and I see the word "smart Alex." So, Bruce, what I mean for those of for those people at home listening right now in their cars or at the gym, give me a give us give them a brief overview of what Smart Alex is. Well, Smart Alex is a product we developed. It's a better for you snack, and what we wanted to do is create a better tasting, better for you snack. So. Um, I spent the better part of my last three to four years developing this product to emulate kind of uh, the, the, the chips in the not-so-good-for-you aisle. So, for instance, if you take chips that are kind of triangular-shaped tortilla chips that are flavored, no names mentioned, that come in nacho cheese, ranch, and other great flavors people love, but don't have a lot of great ingredients in them. As a matter of fact, have a lot of bad ingredients like MSG and and artificial colors and flavors and so on. What we wanted to do is take what people love about those types of snacks and create a better-for-you version of it. So now moms, kids... You know, we're finding all age ranges who who love, you know, these particular types of snacks really gravitate towards our snack. And uh, so it's basically a popped tortilla chip, so it's not fried. So all, right there, you're, you're cutting down on the fat, so they have 40% less fat. And they come in great flavors like Mucho Nacho Cheese, Rockin' Ranch, and Totally Taco. And um, so they come in all the flavors people love, but the flavors are all natural flavors. So there's real cheese in our mucho nacho cheese. There's real buttermilk and real seasonings in our ranch. And there's real taco seasonings in our taco, which is a really killer new flavor that you won't find in any other snack out there. People are really loving. When when did the, the first bag of Smart Alex hit the shelves? Literally September 1st, which was only a couple days after they came off the line at our at our plant up in uh, New York. All right, so September 1st, that is uh, kind of the end of the third quarter of 2017. Mm-hmm. You are in um, – so that was – what store was that in? That was in – 
Our first store that we got into was Palmer's over in Darien, Connecticut. Right. Right. You're, you never yeah. forget your first store, Bruce. Never forget our first store, <laughs> and they were really great. You know, we came in, we sampled the product back in about a year ago when we had some product samples and just what we call mocked-up packaging. So the packaging was basically photocopy versions of our packaging. We went into Palmer's. We said, listen, we're, we're about to run this new snack. Would you think about carrying it? And they said, yeah, definitely. Please come back when you have it produced, and we'll talk. And uh, we literally walked into their door a day after we got off the production line and with our snack in, in the final packaging, and they took in six cases right away. So that was, that was September 1. Uh, reminds me of a Neil Diamond song. Um, that's, September, that's September 1. But, I mean, the, the road was long. I mean, this, this did not happen overnight. So uh, what I'd love to know is kind of how did Smart Alex come to be? When did you have the thought about it? Like what was going on in your life at the time? Because I'm really curious as to one of the things I'm really fascinated by are people who have the ability to put thought into action. And, you know, a lot of people have thoughts. I have a thousand ideas a day, but none of them ever seem to, and some of them, most of them are bad. But <laughs> the, but there is the, the difference between having a thought and then the ability to bring something to market. So I'd love to hear a little bit of, of that journey, kind of starting from the very beginning, kind of when, when you started, like, scratching this itch of bringing kind of a better-for-you snack food to market. Well, I was working in a new product development um, agency, which was basically we're a consultancy that helped companies like Kraft and General Mills and Frito-Lay and – all types of huge, huge companies, Kellogg's, develop new product concepts for the marketplace. So we're basically an idea company, but we help companies develop brand new ideas for brands as well as line extensions for their existing brands. Um, my, my role there was chief creative officer, partner chief creative officer. So what I did was I helped, you know, brainstorm and you know a lot about this because you're, you're part of the process. You know what what you do is part of, was part of our process is uh, qualitative research when we develop these concepts. But um, I did that for several years, and then uh, my partner and I parted ways, and I went out on my own, and I was doing a lot of freelance work. But I remember one quote from one of our clients back in, um, in my working days as a partner in this company. And uh, our client was um, Quaker Oats, and we're in their corporate offices out in Chicago. And the chief creative officer said to us, he said, you know, you guys are so good at coming up with new product ideas. Have you ever thought of developing your own brands? And that stuck with me for the past couple of years. So when my partner and I parted ways, yes, I was doing a lot of freelance work and, and consulting from the innovation side of the business. But I also kept that thought in my mind about creating my own brand. And that's where the seed was planted. And um, I had this name, Smart Alex, and I knew it was going to become a better-for-you brand. And I looked at the categories out there, and I can tell you a little bit about that. Yeah. Well, before we get there, I mean, I, I'm curious. When you were – when Bruce Miller was a little kid, I mean, I, I admitted earlier to, to wanting to be a game show host. But when, when Bruce Miller was young Bruce Miller, um, 
did it i mean were were you thinking hey i'd like to get into new product development or what 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 did young bruce miller want to do with his life <laughs> not at all i was i was more of a creative kid i guess you have uh you know your business types and you have your creative types and you know your your suits and your creatives as as we called them back in my advertising days but um what i was always very creative i was always building things and tinkering and and for I loved doing these, uh, you know, a lot of kids hate doing their class projects where you're building things and pasting things and cutting things and making things visual. But I was always a visual creator type of kid. Um, I've done everything from I, I built a replica of the Globe Theater for or Shakespeare uh, English lit class at one point, which they kept at the school and put a little placard on it because it came out so well. Um we also, um, I also developed, uh, you know, a lot of uh, product ideas when I was in art school. So basically, I went to, I, I, I always loved tinkering and, and creating, and I ended up going to art school. So, Art School, do you remember what your first job was? I mean, not out of school, out of like formal training, but like, what was your first job ever in your, in your life? Uh, my first job ever, before I was 16, um, I, I lived up in a rural part of Connecticut, and I worked on farms. And my but my very first job ever was delivering newspapers. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was the typical, the the very atypical, you know, kid on his bicycle with a heavy sack hanging over his shoulder, delivering. Uh, so I had a paper route, and I was the first person in my town to deliver this particular paper called the Journal Inquirer, which is still in existence today. So you know that's that's one of those jobs that has just gone away. That was what that was one of my first jobs too. I had, I had a job at a golf course before that, just plunking golf balls that the machine couldn't get at the range. Um, but I remember I had a paper route too, and it was it was for the Stanford Advocate, and um, you know it was it was it was a great it was a great way to learn responsibility because you were basically running your own little business because the paper build us for the newspapers we delivered and we had to pay them back with you know whatever our our clients uh gave us um and and hopefully they they would tip us on top but that that job is gone now for kids like there's no there's no paper routes anymore there's there's no. nothing like that for kids no, to it's do people driving around in cars tossing the paper in your driveway right you know we used to walk up and wherever the people wanted their paper if it was between their two doors or what have you and i also mowed lawns I, I did a lot of lawn mowing when I was a kid. You're still mowing lawns, from what I can tell. <laughs> I don't get paid for it, though. You're the, you're the only person, I think, in this neighborhood that mows their own lawn. I, besides my next-door neighbor, it's, yeah. that's pretty much it. Yeah, I, I, I have a funny story about that. It, it wasn't a lawn mowing thing. It was a uh, – I was blacktopping my own driveway one day, and I had all my, my – uh, my beat up jeans on and my old shoes that I was going to toss after this particular chore I was working on. And I was, I was spreading that, that driveway sealer in my driveway. And this guy pulls up to the end of my driveway. He says, Hey, how much do you charge? I'm right down the street. Would you like to, and I'm like, excuse me, I, I live here. <laughs> it's like, but I'm in North Stanford where not too many people, first of all, mow their own lawn. And second of all, definitely don't blacktop or seal their own driveway. Yeah, no, it's uh it's kind of a lost, uh, it's kind of a lost uh, discipline, kind of doing that work here yourself. Yeah. But um, not to digress too much. Uh, right, right, right. But we, um, so, so you know, you, you, you mowed lawns. You, um, 
you did the paper route. When, when, when did you start doing something artistic? Like when did, when did you start making a living or when did you really know that kind of doing something with that creative side of your mind was going to, was going to, you know, help you kind of earn a living? You know, what was really interesting is um, I grew up in kind of a white-collar, very kind of conservative family, but uh, th- there's a flip side to my parents, too. They were conservative, but they're very liberal-minded in the sense that they allowed their kids to kind of seek their own dreams. So I wasn't forced into business school. So um, at 11 years old, my parents, you know, just like we all do with our kids, you want to take a a music class or you want to learn an instrument or do you want to do this or that? And for me, it was like uh, they always saw me sketching and drawing. So they said, would you like to take a painting class? So I took a painting class when I was 11. I, I, in, I, showed my work at, you know, the local fair and won blue ribbons and stuff like that. So I kind of took that as a calling to say, I want to get into the artistic field and the creative field at some point. I really want, I love creativity. And um, I started searching out when I was in high school, uh, art school. So I went over to RISD over in Rhode Island. I went down to this small little school in New Haven called Pear College of Art. And that's where I ended up going to Pear College of Art for for art and communications. So it's kind of like the art director route into advertising, if you will. Was there? I mean, I know, kind of growing up as I mean, you know, we're both guys, um, but and, and I, I hate to to use um, kind of gender specific pronouns, but like kind of taking a painting class, like to some boys, they might shy away from that. Um, did you ever, ever ever face any kind of resistance? with, you know, kind of focusing on something that's a little bit more artistic and not doing, like, the sports stuff. We're not saying that you didn't do that, but um, kind of did you ever ever face any kind of barriers along along those lines? Well, you know, the funny th- it's funny you mention that because th- uh, we took this art class. I was 11 years old, and it was in this woman's house, and it was this uh, – this woman was probably in her late 60s, early 70s, and she taught oil painting classes. She had all the easels set up, everything you needed. You know, you you pay her the money, you go in, and I want my kid to take art classes. The very funny thing is I didn't realize this, but there was another kid in my class who was sitting right behind me um, in my oil painting class once a week. And this kid, his name was Scott, won't use his last name. But he was the biggest, meanest, badass kid in our school. I mean, he had long hair. He had, you know, well, I mean, we were only 11 or 12. But, you know, he was the kid that you never would have figured would be taking an art class. And he was taking this art class right along with me. So, you know, if anybody said anything to me, I'd say, hey, listen, go talk to Scott about taking art classes <laughs> <laughs> if you want to walk up and get in someone's face. But no, no, I, as a matter of fact, a, a lot of my friends liked it because later on in, in high school and stuff, I started uh, doing uh, rock and roll silkscreen t-shirts and stuff like that. So I became kind of like the cool kid. I would make uh, banners and signs for um, all the, the kids who were running for, for class office and, uh, and I, I literally like built sets for the school plays. So I, I put my creativity to work where people kind of looked at it and said, wow, this, you know, this kid has a talent. He's not kind of like 
you know, wimpy kid. But at the same time, I also played pickup ice hockey with my friends. I played football. I played baseball. I, you know, I was in Little League. It's not like I was one of these kids who shied away from doing any of that stuff. It's just, you know, I had this other talent that I pursued as well. But what I love about that story is that you had, you know, two parents who were supportive of that, who were, you know, you know, encouraging you to, to kind of, um, you know, follow that, follow that talent and really let it develop. Um, Very much so. And, and we do that with our children. Uh, we have a son, James, who's been playing guitar now for seven years, and he rocks out in his room basically every night. And our daughter plays piano, and she takes dance. So, you know, we, we definitely support our kids' artistic uh, side as well as their uh, – you know, academic side and their sports side as well. I mean, my son is also a, a very good baseball player. Right. So just going back, you so you go to Pear College, yes, uh, in New Haven, and you're you're studying um, communications as yes. well as uh, graphic design, or what was the? Yeah, it was art direction, communications, uh, graphic design. It's all kind of c- compiled together. Okay. But, um, yes. So you spend your your four years there. Yes. And then well, what's, the, what's the first job? What, what Interesting. You- um, before I even graduated, I was interning at a small little ad agency in New Haven. And uh, I, I don't even know if this store still exists, but a couple of our clients were like local retail shops. One was called Michael's Jewelers up in New Haven. And, um, you know, we had like a concrete company. We had uh, the New Haven Register was our client. And, uh, so I, I was a junior art director working on small brands at a small agency in New Haven, Connecticut. Interesting thing is I I said to myself one day after doing that for a couple of years and not making a heck of a lot of money, but, uh, I said to myself, I said, you know, the Mecca of advertising is literally in our backyard, right down the street. It's called New York city. So I set out, I packed up my bags, and I set out for the Big Apple to find a job in advertising in New York, which I did. So this, what year, what year are we talking about here? Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to age myself here, but it was, uh, I, I would say it was 1983, 84. So what, what is the, the New York City advertising business like in 1983, 84? Ruthless. <laughs> Why do you say ruthless? Because <laughs> if you're a peon in the advertising agency, you gotta, you really have to battle to work your way up through the ad business in New York. It was, it was pretty cutthroat, but it was exciting at the same time. I mean, when I got to New York, I got to work on larger accounts. Remy Martin uh, Liquors was one of our big accounts, and Fuji Film. So it was no longer Michael's uh, Jewelers. I moved up to Fuji Film and Remy Martin Liquors. And, and I, that was another stepping stone, though. It was kind of a, a medium to small size agency in New York. So while I was doing that, I was taking classes down at the School of Visual Arts to kind of hone my, my portfolio, if you will, and to see if I could get into a larger agency, which I did. And what was the name of that first agency, that, that smaller agency? It was called AMC Advertising, and please don't ask me what AMC stands for because I don't know. <laughs> no, it was it was actually the owners' names, Arison Martin and 
something or other. Right. Pretty pretty common to have agencies. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which was my second agency as well. All right. So, and what what was that second? What was your next your next place? The next place, which was a really big uh, stepping stone for me, which I stayed at for quite a while, was called Jordan McGrath Case and Taylor. Right. And what was interesting is when I got to that agency, now I hit a whole different level of. Uh, the business, if you will. I was working for a gentleman by the name of Jim Jordan, and he's basically a legend in advertising and uh, a, a very much a madman uh, holdover from the 60s. And really interesting. I mean, this guy created a lot of campaigns that I grew up with that a lot of our listeners probably wouldn't know. But um, well, the, he, he wrote on. What, what yeah, yeah, yeah. Here, here we go. He wrote um, Terryton. I rather fight than switch. Schaefer's the one beer to have when you're having more than one. Delta, we're ready when you are. Um, whisk around the collar. Beats ring around the collar. It's just a lot of these old ad campaigns that were that boosted brands to a whole new level back in the 60s and and the the consumerism consumerism uh just kind of grew when it was just at its peak so the, i mean he, he was a copywriter by trade is that was that his uh yes jim jim was a copywriter started out and then he was actually the president of bbdo which is a huge agency in new york he left that position to start his own agency called Jim Jordan Associates, which was based in the uh, Chrysler building. Later on, he moved up to some offices up where we were up on Park Avenue, beautiful offices on the corner of Park Park and 57th, just a great, great location. And it was really exciting to land a job there. And I, I literally interviewed with Jim for my, my first job, and it was really an interesting interview. What what made it so interesting? Probably more interesting than this interview, but <laughs> that's a, that's a diss on me, not well, on you. I came into his office and uh, as an art director because I w- I was an art director at the time, and but when I was honing my book down at the School of Visual Arts, I I I love writing, so I tended to write all of my own headlines. I wrote my own scripts for my storyboards. I wrote all my own copy for my ads, so I did all the writing in my portfolio too, but I was interviewing as for an art director position, and I'm sitting in Jim's office, and he has his uh, his head art director sitting next to him in his office, and they're looking at my portfolio, and, and thankfully, they were impressed enough with it that I literally got to Jim's office with it through through the other interviews I had, and he says, you know what, Bruce? We like your art direction, but you know, who's your copywriter? We'd like to hire him too. And he said him, you know, so that shows you the signs of the times. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, I said, well, Jim, you're looking at him. He says, you wrote all the copy in your book too? All of, all the head, all these headlines are yours? And I said, yeah, I, I, I wrote everything you see in this book. I wrote and art directed. And uh, he looked over at his uh, creative, uh, his head, um, art creative guy and he said you know what you know what we're gonna do right here bruce we're gonna alex is gonna try to convince you to come aboard as an art director i'm gonna try to convince you to come aboard as a copywriter and we're gonna give you two weeks to think about it and you decide which you'd like to come aboard as so it's really exciting um at that point i had a vacation planned and I was out in uh, Napa Valley. I went out to Napa Valley with a buddy of mine for our first trip out there, which was really fun and exciting. 
And we uh, spent some time in uh, Sierra Nevada's uh, camping, uh, which is about a four-hour trip from Napa Valley. And I said, you know, it's a week now. I have to call back to New York and let them know. I look over, and there's a payphone. Literally, there's this payphone that's strapped to a, a tree out in this <laughs> out in this state park. And I go over to the payphone, which you don't see too many payphones anymore. And I got on the phone, and I called Jim. And I said, listen, you know, I, 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 I thought to myself, I have all these years of art direction under my belt. He's given me the chance to become a copywriter, you know. I'm I'm wondering, I, I'd really love to give that a shot because I love, love, love to write as well. So I called him up. I said, you know what, Jim, I'm coming aboard as a copywriter. And that was the beginning of my tenure at Jordan McGrath, Case and Taylor. Any any regrets going into copywriting versus art direction at that at that place? You know, not one because I think Jim knew this and he actually mentioned it to me. He said, Bruce, no matter what you come aboard as, we're gonna use both both sides of your creativity. So, you know, feel free to use your art direction abilities when you come aboard. If you come aboard as a copywriter and if you come aboard as an art director, we're gonna be we're gonna be plugging you for headlines and, and taglines as well. Right. So, uh, uh, Jordan McGrath, Case, and Taylor, right? Jordan McGrath, Case, and Taylor. Case yes. and Taylor, yeah. And um, that's where is that where you met Maria? Is, do it's I actually that? where I met my wife. Oh, yeah, yeah. She worked in research, like yourself, and uh, we were friends for quite a while. The, the the really funny thing is that she was in one of my classes at School of Visual Arts prior to us meeting at Jordan McGrath. So we had already just met in one of our classes and then we ended up working at the same agency that's you know it's funny like i i, had, I met my wife nicole up at up at school but we had met um we were introduced to a friend and um then the next day i, I go to my sociology class social 107w and uh who's who's in the class but out of 300 people it was a big auditorium um but there's nicole wow we just we started sitting next to each other and just like making fun of the professor because that's what i do um and yeah we've been together ever since and that was over 25 years ago so it's called serendipity mike pretty amazing stuff yeah amazing stuff it was yeah so uh, tell me, what, what are some of the more memorable things that you wrote as a copywriter? Oh, I have one claim to fame, and it was really exciting. Um, we're working on Nestle at the point at this point, and Nestle was based in White Plains, and uh, we're working on all their confections brands. And um, we found out that Nestle purchased this small brand, a couple small brands. All, all three brands together, they purchased uh, the three brands, uh, Butterfinger, Baby Ruth, and Raisinets. And um, I remember Baby, Baby Ruth was kind of this kind of funky bar sitting on the lower shelves as well as Butterfinger. And they needed a new campaign for Butterfinger. And they, they were thinking about using – they had one ad already – which was utilizing this animated family that was on, uh, oh, shoot, what show was it on now? Do you recall? Tracy Ullman. Trace, they, the Tracy Ullman show. That's where The Simpsons started. So they had this funky little ad that didn't make much sense um, with Bart Simpson in it. And they said, you know, we, we, we kind of were still thinking about utilizing The Simpsons. But we're not we're not happy with the advertising. So can you guys come up with a campaign for us? 
So it was one of those things where every creative in the agency was so excited to kind of hop on this project and uh, give it their best shot. And I was sitting in my office one day, and I'm, I'm writing. And and Jim Jordan is all about what's called mnemonics. So, you know, he's uh, he's all about like. Uh, Chocolate is scrunches when it crunches. That's why I like Nestle Crunch. Anything that kind of takes the brand name and works it into the tagline in a way that's meaningful to the brand as well as kind of plays off the brand name. So I'm thinking about Bart Simpson. I'm thinking about this wise guy little character and and what he might say about his Butterfinger if he had a Butterfinger. And the thing is, he's kind of like a kind of a selfish little character. So I wrote this line down on I scribbled this line on my pad, you know, nobody better uh, don't lay a finger on my butterfinger. And uh, my creative director said, you know, why don't we tweak it a little bit? And uh, the line came out, nobody better lay a finger on my butterfinger. And it was basically came out of my head. And with a small tweak, and we did these this campaign about Bart Simpson getting into these situations where he has the, his butterfinger, and his cohorts and within his family and within his surroundings are always trying to lay their fingers on his butterfinger, and and in these funny little uh, ads. Um, so I created this campaign, nobody better lay a finger on my butterfinger and it became a huge success. It boosted the brand from like the bottom of the candy bar shelf to the number seven candy bar in the United States. And we won all kinds of awards for it. So that was my one claim to fame. There you go. There you go. So how much of, of your, your background in kind of art direction and copywriting, um, did you bring into smart Alex? Well, a lot, because back then, especially when we worked on Nestle, they had asked us, so back then, ad agencies were more like, um, they were they, they were multitasking for the client. So if a client needed a new product idea, they would go to their advertising agency. They wouldn't go outside to a new product development agency. There weren't many of those back then. Their advertising agency was the main source for anything creative. So what we were asked to do, especially on the uh, Nestle Confections brands, is help them develop product concepts for line extensions. So we helped them develop Butterfinger BBs, which was uh, bite-sized Butterfingers. So coming coming up with the naming of the brand, the brand extension, and then the advertising, you know, afterwards was part of our role. We helped develop the brand called Bunch of Crunch, and... Um, we developed a bunch of other brands for Nestle. So I kind of had my hands in the whole new product development area for a while, even while I was working at the ad agency. And uh, I kind of carried that over into my next life. Right. And so what what um, what brought you into new product development as a sort of a kind of a primary focus? That's a great question. I was working... Um, Actually, I was transferred from Jordan McGrath. We opened up an office. Nestle had subsequently moved their offices out and merged with Carnation, so their offices moved out to California. We opened up a satellite office out there to service Nestle. So I lived out in California for a couple of years, and I was working, you know, developing the Butterfinger uh, 
concept, uh, concepts, um, advertising campaign, as well as working on Nestle Crunch and some other things. So while I was working out in California, we're doing all of that new product work, like I said, as well as the advertising. And at that point, Maria and I were doing the long distance relationship because she stayed back in our New York office. But every once in a while, she would travel out to L.A. to work on Nestle, and I would travel back to New York to work on other clients. Um, so we kept our relationship going, and during those couple years I was out there, we got closer and we became engaged. And we decided that we're going to live on one coast or the other, and she's Italian, had a very uh, kind of planted family up back here on the east coast and all my family was on the east coast so i decided to move back east and um was looking for a a, a new gig back here in advertising and landed uh, a job with a small agency in stanford that was starting up called just kid inc okay and did, did that grow out of north castle partners somehow or do i do i misunderstand that what it was, it was a gentleman by the name of George Carey who came over from Saatchi and Saatchi in New York and uh, also lived in the lower Fairfield County area and wanted to open his own agency and mainly be like a kid-focused agency that did both new product development and advertising. And he set up shop within another agent, existing agency called North Castle Partners okay. here in Stanford. Yeah, that's because I, I, I seem to remember that. I seem yeah. to remember that. that when um, so when you start doing new product stuff day to day, you know you're you're uh, helping brands kind of you know understand um, kids and families and, yes. and generating product ideas and, and brand extensions for them. What I mean, what what did you enjoy most about that? I, I think the most. I, I mean creatives aren't supposed to like this, but I really enjoyed the research. I really enjoyed <laughs> going out and talking to people and listening to people and going into the stores and doing the focus groups and just learning what people really were looking for in brands and what wasn't satisfying them at the point, you know, what they're looking to satisfy them in the future. And then putting that knowledge into work and developing actual brands that could satisfy those needs. You know, it's interesting. That, like, you, you, you kind of joke, you know, creatives aren't supposed to like research. But I, I find that creatives like research when it's not called research, <laughs> you know, <laughs> when it's called something else. But also when it's when it's used to, you know, bring some illumination into, you know, an area versus test something out. I think there's a little bit of a different, you know, maybe a different level of appreciation there, too, because it's very hard to have your work kind of put in front of a group of six or eight strangers and, and have it kind of blown apart a little bit versus really just trying to understand consumer attitudes and behavior. It's yeah. kind of a different, a different. Oh yeah. Thing. Yeah. No, it's a very humbling experience for a creative because uh, you, you are putting yourself out there. Let's say you create a product concept and you're sitting behind the glass in a focus room, a focus group. And uh, the moderator is bringing, you know, the respondents, as we called them, despondents. 
um, <laughs> th- through the uh, concepts. And, you know, you're either your concept is either going to get the big thumbs up or the big thumbs down. And you have to deal with both. You know, you have to say, hey, listen, this product's doing really well. This this uh, concept's doing really well. Or you have to say, oh, my gosh, that, I created a bomb. Like, we've got to go back to the drawing board. And like I said, it's a very humbling experience. So you you spend a, a lot of time over at Just Kid. Yes. We won't dwell too much on, on that. But then, you know, you, you part ways, and then you really start scratching the itch at, you know, taking your former client's advice and kind of sketching out what your own brand might be. How did you, how did you get into the, this idea of healthier for you or better for you snack foods versus any of the other ideas you could have, you know, really kind of explored? a great question it was kind of um an intersection of a lot of things that were going on in, in our lives um first of all we had kids that were doing a lot of snacking second of all i had sat through a lot of lot of research uh, in this area of snacking and food and i knew a lot about it and third of all every time we we tr- walked down this snack food aisle which was becoming more and more better for you and then all of a sudden they there were designated aisles with better for you snacks in them i found out i i i kind of made this observation that i was hearing back from a lot of other families and a lot of kids and a lot of moms that this whole better for you aisle wasn't all that better tasting. As a matter of fact, you know, there's a lot of, you know, people make jokes like, oh, yeah, those those healthy snacks, they taste like packing noodles and, and cardboard. You know, so, I mean, that's an exaggeration. But we didn't find a lot of fun and a lot of great taste in that better for you aisle. And a light bulb went off in my head. I said, you know, here's an opportunity to bring some great taste, some fun, and um, some you know kid appeal, family all family appeal to an aisle that does that's kind of lacking a little bit in those areas. And uh, and so you you kind of uh, start developing Smart Alex. Lo- the, the name is so fantastic, by the way, Smart Alex. <laughs> I mean, because it it is you know it's a great play on words and it really fits the character you develop so well because he looks like a Kind of a smart aleck. Yeah, well, Jim Jordan would be proud because it's kind of like a little <laughs> mnemonic device. Yeah. Um, what did you learn about yourself during that process? Again, nothing happens overnight. You know, we're talking a three or four year, really, incubation period or, or period of gestation as, as maybe that's more appropriate. But um, what, what did you really learn about yourself as, as you kind of went through this process? <sighs> Wow, that that's a tough one. It, maybe not to. I'm I'm not patting myself on the back. I'm just saying that I kind of made it through this. So I would say resilience, because um, to to start a brand from scratch, it, and I have to warn anyone out there who's thinking about doing it, is not not an easy task. Um, it's very difficult. I spent. Uh, and if the Starbucks people knew this, they'd probably be charging me rent. But I spent many of our sitting at home, isolated, working on this brand, making phone calls, contacting all of my vendors to do certain things for me. Um, for instance, you know, I, I had to start from scratch learning. I knew a lot about developing a product concept 
but not necessarily a product itself. What we did for Kraft and General Mills and Frito-Lay and Kellogg's, you know, we worked with their innovation groups. We came up with product concepts. And what they did, they, they would take it into their manufacturing and say, okay, now manufacturing, we got to figure out how to produce this. Or they'll already have the manufacturing capabilities and how do we tweak those capabilities to produce this. What I had to do is my, my chore usually stopped at, okay, this has to go into commercialization and manufacturing. Now, as an entrepreneur, I had to go beyond that stopping point and go into developing an actual product that which which I've never done before. You know the the actual product itself. So 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 this this uh, this guy with an art school background, you know, who spent so much time in addition to delivering papers, uh, you know, working writing copy, doing art direction. Now all of a sudden has to understand food science and oh, yeah. sourcing and you know it's one thing to sort of develop the artwork for a package and probably another to source the materials for that package and get it printed and and you know get get seasonings together and all that stuff so it, it, was that the the most challenging part of it for you it was i i, I have to say that it, 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 it was incredibly, incredibly time-consuming and difficult task for someone who's never done it before. I had a basically, and there's a lot of twists and turns in that road too. I, I basically a lot, a lot of fits and starts where I would go to uh, contract manufacturing is what it's called when you're you're looking for somebody to develop a product for you and you don't have the manufacturing facilities. You have to have it contract manufactured or co-packed. And so I was looking through all of these sources, calling, making phone calls and saying, where can I get a chip made and where can I get seasonings? And, you know, it started with very basic, simple phone calls and, and being very, you know, just, just trying to get out there and, and, kind of get into these like little areas and in these little niches of production and where a creative has never ventured before. So, but, but the interesting thing is the more phone calls you make, the more contacts you get. And we literally went through about four different seasoning companies before we landed at the seasoning company we have. We went, literally went through, talked to, I don't know, how many dozens of manufacturers before we got to the manufacturer we're with right now. It just takes a lot of time and a lot of research goes into developing any type of product. So I know that the, there, there's a phrase that, that uh, I hear quite a bit, and I know it was in, it was in a, it was a song, Bono turned it into a song lyric. Um, but it's, uh, it's always darkest before the dawn. Oh, my gosh. Um, was that, was that true for you? Yes. Yeah. There are times where I, I looked at Maria and I said, should I really be doing this or should I be getting a real job? And, uh, you know, God rest my mother's soul. I mean, I wish you were here today to see our product in market, but she's like, when are you going to go out and get a real job? You know, cause she, she had no clue what I was doing and working on my laptop all the time and putting together spreadsheets and making phone calls and, you know, learning about just simple things. And maybe it's not so simple, but how do you purchase a barcode, you know? And 
where do I go? And I didn't, never knew what this packaging was called, but snack packaging is called film. So where do I go to get my film produced? Do I do it overseas? Do I do it locally? Do it, you know, there are a zillion companies that do this. Who's going to be the one that's going to do it for me? And it's basically a lot of it comes down to what companies are willing to work with a startup doing small runs of whatever you're making, small runs of packaging, small runs of um, product, you know. So there are some companies who wouldn't work with us because we weren't going to make, you know, 20 truckloads at a time of product. And there are companies that weren't going to work with us because we're not going to order 2,000 pounds of seasoning at a time. We're going to order 1,000 pounds of seasoning or what, what have you. Right. So, so, but, but you, you get to the dawn, the sun crests over the hills of Stanford, Connecticut. And, uh, you know, you, you obviously, you don't give up, you don't throw in the towel. You don't, you resist that temptation to, to kind of walk away. And now it's September one, you're in Palmer's and Darien and they, uh, they take your six, six cases. Was that what you said? Six cases? Yeah. Yeah. My first six cases of product. Yep. They take your first six cases, and then you wind up, you know, I, I know, and I know this because I, I attended one, but you're starting to do tastings, right? So yes. You're, you're doing a tasting. How, is there a way to, descri- to describe with words the feeling you have when it, when, when it is now all come together? Finally, satisfaction that our concept, and basically... It was three years of being a concept, you know, so we had no idea if the concept was really going to fly. And to be quite honest, it's still a hard road. I mean, you you talk about seeing the dawn. I look outside right now and and it's a very foggy day and (laughs) there's a lot of foggy days. But um, when it really came to light and, and the feeling you get when someone tries your snack and says, oh, my God, this is so good, you know, and what a great name and what great packaging and what a great product. And and you see them literally go put their name brand snack. They're, they go over to the checkout aisle and they put your snack in their cart and they have their name brand snack. And then you see them sneak their name brand snack off to the side of the register. So they're not going to purchase this name brand snack and they're purchasing your snack. Um instead of it and i saw this more than once and i saw people literally have snacks in their car come by try our snack and said you know what i'm gonna go put these back because i like your snack better that sad there's nothing that beats that satisfaction because you said you know i'm out there and i'm competing with the big boys now and i'm just this little guy from stanford connecticut now mind you we're we're still only in about 20 stores at this point but um you know, after September, it's only been, I, I, you know, we're, we're young. We're, we're still at the beginning of this. As a matter of fact, right after this session, I'm going to hop in my car and go over to Brooklyn and we're in a store over there called Food Town, which is a chain in New York in the Brooklyn, um, Hudson River area. And, uh, we're in five of their stores. So I'm going to go over to one of my Brooklyn stores over there and do a sampling. So if, if you, um, I, there's a song by Brad Paisley. Um, he was a kind of a modern country musician. He's one of my favorites. Um, it's called Letter to Me, where he basically writes a letter to himself at 16 or 17. And, you know, he's giving himself some advice. Um, 
what if if you could do that if you could write a letter to yourself you know from from you know when specifically that self who is feeling that hey it's it's really dark out there and um i should i be doing this um should i throw in the towel what are some of the things you'd put in that letter to yourself um one of the things i would say is you made it this far keep on going i i have to say i have to say that with to anyone you know because if we all just look at our setbacks um which there were quite a few of by the way along the that three years you know plenty of setbacks like i said manufacturers that turned us down um switching from one vendor to another because we weren't satisfied and and people you know saying that you know you're you're getting you're never going to make it into market and so on and so forth you know look at where you've come look at how far you've come and look at your accomplishments as opposed to your setbacks and say you made it this far keep going and um what would you say to if maria were here right now what would you say to her (laughs) thank you thank you thank you (laughs) that's it Behind every great man, there is an even better woman. Oh, my gosh. I can't thank my wonderful wife enough for the amount of support she gave me over the past few years and said, listen, keep it going. You, you know, here again, she's, she's the one that said to me, look how far you've come. And a lot of people have said that to me. They said, Bruce, you know, you, you did the packaging. You did this. You did that. You got a manufacturer. You got all of these seasonings taste just the way you did using all natural ingredients you know look at all the accomplishments you've you've done or you've made over the past few years don't give up don't give up and what i would say to my wife is thank you thank you thank you for not allowing me to give up and allowing us and and she was she does samplings right along with me as well as my uh 11 year old daughter juliana who I, I thank I thank my children for supporting us and and um, there you go. So where uh, just to wrap up, where yep. if uh, people are out there listening, probably curious where they could buy Smart Alex. Do you have a list of uh, where, where can I where can I say is there a website I could send them to to uh, to learn where they could buy our website? Well, not not to buy. We don't sell off of our website, but all of the stores are located and listed in our website. Where to buy? And it's smartalexfoods with an S dot com. Smartalexfoods.com. Please, if you're out there and you do try us and you like us, please like us on Facebook. We're called Smart Alex Snacks on Facebook. Um, we haven't started on Twitter yet, but we hope to do that. But we have a wonderful Facebook page and we'd love as much support on our Facebook page as possible. But smartalexfoods.com. And if uh, if uh, if for some some reason, there could perhaps be a store owner who's listening to this. Uh, what's the best way for them to get in touch with uh, Bruce Miller? To uh, that would be B Miller at SmartAlexFoods.com. There you That's go. B Miller at SmartAlexFoods.com. And please give me a shout because I'd love to hear from you, and um, I would love to be in in as many stores as we can get into. And I promise you, we have a great product and. Uh, love to send you some samples also 
Um, do you mind if I name a few stores around here? Go right, right ahead. Now? So yeah. um, in the local Connecticut area right now, in the Fairfield County area, we're in eight shop rights, which we're really proud of. We just got in. And we're going to be doing two samplings this weekend. We're going to be up in Derby and Cheshire between noon and 4 o'clock this weekend up in Derby and Cheshire and um, – not sure of the dates. Are those shop rights in Derby and Cheshire? Or shop rights? Yeah, gotcha. shop right in Cheshire. Shop, uh, um, uh, Shelton. I'm sorry, not Cheshire. Shelton. Shop right in Shelton. Shop right in Derby uh, this weekend. All right. Well, I mean, uh, I can't keep these chips in my house because the kids eat them <laughs> so fast. My wife hides them all over the place so nobody gets her stash. And I'm happy to hear it's totally taco. <laughs> Totally because taco. you know that's totally our own flavor. We we knew we had a launch of nacho cheese and a ranch, which people love. People ranch lovers love our ranch, and we just have a wonderful nacho cheese. But um, totally taco, we want that to be a big seller because that's totally unique and uh, a lot of fun. So well, we, it, we hope your listeners try our brand and enjoy it. Well, I call it totally tasty because it is uh, it is some good stuff. I, I mean, I love all three, but that totally taco is uh, great. You just may be leaving with a free bag because of that. Look at that. <laughs> all right. Well, that's a good one to end it on. Thank you very much for your time, Bruce. Thank you so much, Mike, and Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. Well, there you have it. My interview with a very likable man named Bruce Miller. I love Bruce's story. And I love the fact that um, he's getting some kind of success right now. He's earned, uh, certainly earned it. And um, Jimmy Buffett wrote a song years ago for a movie called Hoot, which was based on a young adult novel by one of my favorite authors, uh, Carl Hyacin. And the the title track, uh, the name of that song is Good Guys Win. And uh, I think... kind of appropriate here for uh, to think about when I think about Bruce Miller because he's a good guy and uh, I love love the fact that he's having success with Smart Alex and uh, that he was able to take it from conception in his mind all the way through the shelves of all those stores that he spoke about before. If you want to learn more about Smart Alex, I encourage you please go to smartalexfoods.com and on that website you can actually click on a a link uh, that says where to find us, and you can see where you can buy it. Of course, you can feel free to ask your local store to carry Smart Alex. I'm sure Bruce would certainly appreciate that. And if you want to learn anything more about my novels, I have six of them now. Very proud of that fact. You can go to michaelcarlinauthor.com and learn about all of my novels. Um, I can guarantee that there is some good stuff in there, and I know that you'll like at least one of the six. So thank you for taking the time to listen to this. I hope you have a great day, evening, afternoon. I don't know what time you're listening to this, but uh, I hope you enjoyed it, and I look forward to sharing more stories with you soon.